Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothbaum back in the chair. And with no football to talk about, we're continuing with our series of interviews. Well, I say interviews, chats with former City players. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome someone who played over 100 times for City in the 70s. And it's a very warm welcome to fans' favourite, Gary Owen. Gary, yeah. good to have you on. Yeah, Nigel, no, good evening to you. Good evening, sir. For, Listen, there is no t- football to talk about, as we say, Gary, but I'm interested mm. to know before we get into your City story, just a little bit about your thoughts on how we're going to get this season done and dusted. You know, is it going to be behind closed doors? Is it going to be null and voided? What, lots of different views, lots of thoughts. Where, where do you sit on this? What do you think should happen to bring this, the season to a close? Well, it all depends how the, uh, how the virus is, uh, is handled. If, if we're still on... Well, if we're on lockdown, then there'll be no games. But if there's going to be some sort of movement, it's got to be that supporters and players alike, uh, there will be a second wave of this coming. And by by rushing back for a sport and for supporters who, who are missing football to get the fix of football, it doesn't come back too soon. For me, it's all got to be about the people that, that no, uh, I suppose are, are the medics that will will tell us when it's safe to to go out. Will tell us safe when we can get on a plane again to go on holiday. Will tell us safe when to to be able to go back to work, play football. So it all depends on them. For me, safety is the key thing. There's no two ways about it. Football at the end of the day, yes, there's a lot of money in football now, and and, uh, and a lot of people enjoy watching it. But at the end of the day, safety is is number one priority. And you know this. There's not been like anything like this, I think, since... I mean, we're the only... I think I'm the only generation uh, to not been in a world war. When you think about mm. the, the two world wars, that my, that my father and, and my grandfather mm. were both involved in. I think I'm the only generation that has not been in, in war. But we are in war, but we're against the virus. So how sure. does it get fixed? It gets fixed that whatever the virus is and how it can be handled and how we can get back to some sort of normality will depend on whether or not football can start. Football will take a secondary. Health is the most important, of course, for everybody. You've seen how many 
tragic death has been already. So you know we need to we need to minimise this this virus as much as we can. Although there'll be there'll be uh, large casualties if we're going to play it. I don't think anybody wants to see it being played behind closed doors. I understand why they want to do it because they've got to get next season into place about who will be who will be uh, champions, who will be relegated, who will come up, all that stuff. I understand all that, and same with Europe. But again, you know how we're going to come to uh, to do all that. The season will have to be extended, obviously. Whether mm. that was into June, not just June, but into July and maybe into August, then that it'll mean that some of the players won't have the break, and some have not had breaks in, in many years uh, through playing for the international side. So it will be, although you could call it a, a break now, but although the training, there's no games, they're still focusing on the football. And for me, playing behind closed doors is not what it's all about. They'd only do that if it was a case of having to play the games to get the results to find out who goes up and who goes down. But ideal situation would be to get these games, play them in front of the crowds, but providing the safety is OK for everybody and we get back to some sort of normality. But it may well, I believe, because this this isn't just like a, a two-minute wonder. I think certainly to begin with, a lot of these games will be played behind closed doors, which is not going not gonna to help the clubs, it's not going to help the players. It's not going to help the supporters, but I feel that's the way it'll go to begin with. Anyway. It's looking more and more likely, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 so back to you, Gary. I mean, were you always going to be a footballer? I mean, were you a great footballer at school? Is that what you wanted to do as a kid? Well, in my own mind, I was. Hmm. I was. That's the only thing I ever wanted to do was play football. But can you imagine how many people that come from a council house or from you know maybe not uh, as good fortune as others in life. The, their way out of where they were at was to play football. Uh, yeah. But for me, it was I, I had no other, I had another thought pattern in my mind apart from playing football. Although my father instilled into me that education was important and it did stick with me. Although my education probably came to the latter of my schooling as opposed to um, as opposed to studying as I should have done because football was in the, in the forefront of my mind. But I think that once. I signed a schoolboy form to Manchester City at the age of 14. I still had two more years of work, and Manchester City instilled into me, as well as my father at that point, that education was important because in their way of getting me to study harder was to say a clever footballer is a better footballer. And whether that was right or wrong, that stuck with me. So I decided, because Manchester City had told me, that I need to get my education right. And although in our time we did CSEs and O-levels, we didn't do A-levels because we left school at 16 and I went to Manchester City as an apprentice then. But it was it took Manchester City to instill into me, which I did study for two years and got the exams that I needed or, or that, uh, that I entered for. Uh, but it would have been a lot easier if it had been studying harder mm. leading up to the last two years of my, uh, of my schooling. But uh, all's well that ends well. I got the marks that I needed to do, but in the end, it's you know I, I was fortunate enough, lucky enough, blessed enough to be able to get a living from 16 until I decided to retire when I was 30. Just going back then to to joining City as an apprentice, as a junior, etc. What, what 
what was that like? Give us a bit of an insight. You know, we, we're all fans. We, yeah. we, we watch the game, but it'd be really brilliant to hear from you. A bit of insight into a young 14-year-old turning up at Main Road. What was it like? Were you cleaning the boots? Is it like that, really? Is that what 14-year-olds yeah, well, did? Help us understand get, a bit more about the life of, a, yeah, of an apprentice. With you, as a schoolboy, you know, we didn't have Xbox and all this stuff. You know, we, mm. we played football. Uh, all the way through the winter, we played cricket and tennis in the summer, and when football started, we played with football again. We was out all the time. We played until it got dark, until our mums and dads shouted us in. But it was football, 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 and cricket and and tennis in um, in in the summer, all emulating of which part of the year it was, whether it was a Beyondborg or a, you know or a Pele or whoever you wanted to be, whichever sport was on at the time, you you wanted to emulate. So our our upbringing was all about uh, playing sport. I went, obviously, I played for local teams and from local teams, I went on then to uh, to play for my school teams. And then, obviously, on a Saturday and Sunday, I played with my local teams because we play every, you know, you play Saturday sometimes twice on a Saturday and once on a Sunday for three teams. And then, uh, obviously, scouts would go around. And when you start playing for your school team and then you get picked for your town team, and my, my town, my school was in Warrington, although my school, uh, my my postal address was St. Helens, which is rugby country, St. Helens and Warrington. But luckily, my school in Warrington was a footballing school. Um, so I played for the Warrington Town School Boys. And then I was selected to play for Lancashire School Boys. And then during that time, I think I was playing against Manchester School Boys, the Warrington School Boys, when Harry Godwin spotted me. Although I had been... I had been invited to to go to, and I had been to Liverpool and Manchester United, to Chelsea, and different other places as their guest, not to go and train with them, but to be a guest and to go to a match. and And they were there trying to persuade me to join them. Uh, but when uh, when Harry Godwin came along and invited me, and then met me off, my, uh, which was a journey, which not just as a schoolboy, but even when I was an apprentice, uh, I would bike, get on a bike. And bike from my home to the train station in St. Helens, which was circa five miles. Great for your, great for your fitness, but n- n- not that great when you're training as hard as we were at Manchester City at the time. But so you get on a bike, train, you, you, you go get the train, a train then to Victoria Station from St. Helens. I'd then have to run, still keeping my fitness going, of course, not through, op- not through choice, run up to Newton Street, just off Piccadilly to get to number 76 bus. It sticks in your mind forever, of course. Get on that bus. Hopefully that it wasn't too hot on that bus. Otherwise, because I'd been up so early, I'd be asleep on it and probably miss my stop for Main Road. I'd get to Main Road a little bit later than 9 o'clock as the other lads because obviously I was coming further. And they were either in digs or I was living in Manchester. And then my job, whether it was cleaning boots, which, you know, it could have been Rodney Marshes, Francis Lees, Mike Summerbees, whoever the first team players was. So you'd have one week of cleaning boots and the next week, your job would be uh, to put the kit out for them and collect the kit. So you put the kit out, rolled up in a towel for each player in the first team squad, and then you pick it all up and take it to the laundry room. And then between you all, you do the cleaning of the gyms and uh, and uh, and become a glorified cleaner. Now, they don't do that now. For me, it was good upbringing because it made me appreciate me made me appreciate that when I got into that reserve team dressing room or going to the first team dressing room, how how much we appreciate what you're getting and how lucky you are to be in that position. It was it, it was good grounding. Although now they say it's uh, it's not the right way to uh, to do it, but it did. Anybody who's apprentice 
in our time and below my t- uh, and before my time did not do them any harm. And I think the majority would say, in fact, although you you wish you didn't have to do it, the the I think the basis that it gave you to when you did get into the reserves or first team made you understand how uh, uh, how blessed you were to, to be able to be in that position and know how hard it is to get there. So. That would be my job. And then, obviously, when you get to 16, 16 is when those, those jobs would start. So you, you wouldn't do it as a schoolboy when you were 16 until you were 17. And then, sometimes, you could be kept until 18 doing those jobs. But, fortunately, Manchester City changed, changed my apprenticeship into a professional. So, at 17, I became a fully-fledged professional, no more boot cleaning, no more. And I was then sat handily in the reserve team dressing room, playing regularly for the as I was from when I joined at 16, the A-teams, a which is like, um, uh, which is, you play against teams like Macclesfield Reserves where there'll be grown-ups or Wigan Reserves where it was like an open age and we were kids at 16, 17. So it was a, it was a brutal start to your football because you'd be playing against men when we were boys. But then mm-hmm. you progress from then if you were fortunate enough into the reserve team and then reserve team into the first team. So my, so my A team was probably between 16 and 17. My reserve team was quite limited, actually, because I got into the, into the reserve team. I made my debut for the first team when I was 17, and at the start of when I was 18, I got into the first team, and then the rest is history. So, so, just, so just on that, Gary, obviously you, you say you made your debut at 17. I think it was the 20th of March, 1976, uh, home to Wolves. Uh, it was. City won, City won 3-2. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think, and of course, I, I, was, I, I was watching City, obviously, in those days already, and you were one of my favourites, and and uh, I, 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 I didn't realise you replaced the amazing Alan Oakes, who's played more <laughs> games than anybody else for Absolutely. Manchester City. What, what, what a burden for a 17-year-old, and did that... Did that? Did you realise that at the time the burden of responsibility? Here's a young lad who's come through the ranks. He's 17 years of age. He's been given his chance in the first team, and you're replacing the great. And I don't hesitate before I use that. The legend that is Alan Oates. Did did that really nope, resonate I, honestly, at the time I, at yeah, all? Listen, when I look back and some of the th- uh, of my thought patterns at some point, because it was so. I mean, it, it was it was just it was one route to get into that first team. There was no nothing got in the way. Whether it was a player experienced young player or anything, my job was to get in. I didn't care who I had to scramble over to get into that team. And this sounds a bit disrespectful. Obviously, Alan Oakes is a legend of, of, of that football club and what he's done. But, you know, m- my time was whether it be Alan Oakes or Colin Bell or Mike Summerby or whoever was in the team at that point. My, my concern was not whose place I was going in. It was a case of I wanted a place. So yeah. it happened that Alan Oakes was injured and I was 17 and... Tony Book brought me in and said I was going to be making my debut the next day, which, I mean, I mean, for a 17-year-old, when you think that a year earlier I was at school and a year earlier I was, I'd got pictures on my walls of, of all the star players, Joe Royal being one of them, being at Everton at that time, and then I'm making my debut and, and now I'm playing with people that was on my wall as heroes, was now my teammates, or I was playing against them. Surreal. It is surreal, trust me. It is like something. If you didn't, if you didn't experience it, you would say it's a made-up story. It's fiction. That's what you'd say because it just doesn't happen. But it did happen to me. 
And how did they treat you coming in, Gary? Obviously, you were in awe of these guys. You've named some of the legends of the club um, who'd had absolutely glory years winning everything that was to be won. And here was young 17-year-old Gary walking in there. How were they with you, Gary? How were you, well, how you, know, were you welcomed? How were when you... I was, Nigel, when I was a schoolboy and I, I went there and Malcolm and Joe Mercer was on the pitch of the first-team squad. And obviously, uh, I was, a, you know, I was uh, trying to schoolboy forms and I'd, in the holidays I would go there. And he was out on the pitch, and, uh, and Malcolm called me on because obviously uh, the Steve Fleet, who was who would have been my my manager in the B and A teams, who, yeah. who you know Steve was a great servant, not as a player but as a coach for many many years. He um, uh, he was wanting me to obviously sign as, as apprentice, and he had no there's no way that I was not going to do. But Malcolm called me on to pitch, and I was ended up playing with the first team, which involved. Francis and Mike and Colin and, and Booty and everybody else that was there. Mm-hmm. And he had like uh, 20 minutes with them. Mike somebody to this day says that, and, and my age was lower and lower every every time he tells a story. He was 14, <laughs> actually, but he tells people he was 13, then 12, then 10. He, was, he said to people, yeah, he was training with us when he was only 10. So before we know, I, I would have been training with him before he was even conceived, says with Mike. <laughs> And that's got nothing to do with his age, and he might be he might be forgetting a few things. I just think he wants to make the story better. So those so those players, if, if you can imagine, is that how how did they treat me? Well, I'd already been training with the first team squad, as had Peter mm. Barnes. So we we were the young players in amongst them, and just waiting for our chance. And Peter had already made his debut because he's a year or two years older than me. So my turn, you know, at seventeen, and Tony Buck, who's the manager, and Bill Taylor, God bless his soul, who who for me was a great influence mm. in my career, uh, Bill yeah. Taylor, an absolute gentleman. Also, the England coach as well at the time, mm. uh, an absolute gentleman. And um, and he said, and Tony Buck said to me, you know, you, you're going to be making your debut um, tomorrow against Wolves. Um, and, you know, I couldn't get in my little mini 850 to get home and, 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 and to tell my mum and dad and obviously my brother and everybody else that I was going to be making my debut the next day at 17 and thinking, please don't rain because if it rained on the, on that mini 850, you had to have WD-40 by the gallon to be able to spray it on there to be able to, because if it got wet inside on whatever yeah. it was, I'm no mechanic, trust me. Well, I'm, I'm no good to DIY, full stop. So, somebody tells me unless you spray it on there then the car won't work so luckily it wasn't a rainy day and it wasn't a rainy day when I was going to make my debut so that's when I got there so it was it was a great feeling to be able to go home and say to your mum and dad you know that everything that they hoped would happen for me had happened earlier than anybody could have, uh, have, have wished for but you know I was only slight and I was only small uh, but it just shows you even in those days if you're good enough you'll get the chance. It's a little bit different now because, you know, there weren't lots of foreign, well, there was no foreign players actually in, in our league that now because of the European Union as it, as we were in and obviously freedom of movement, players can go and play in every country now, which was which was not the was not the case. I think you could have two foreign players when a few years after that it happened, we could have two foreign players in your team. So for me to be making my debut the next day, uh, um, uh, you know, it's so uh, it's, uh, when you look back now, it's frightening. Mm-hmm. And so, can, can in the I, morning, can, can... It's, in the, just tell you, in the morning before yeah. the game, my mum's saying to me, "Right, well, you need to you need to have a good breakfast because you can't, you know, you're going to use a lot of energy and blah blah blah." Just that the other, you can imagine how times change. So mm-hmm. she filled me up with egg, bacon, sausage, and beans, and toast, and tomatoes. You might, that would be pretty much meal, can you imagine, at nine yeah. o'clock. 
before I got to the ground for, for one o'clock for a three o'clock start. So uh, obviously you can see from those days, pretty much meals have changed a lot since then. I'll, I'll, I'll come on to that if I can. I was going to ask mm. you about the weight, Gary, uh, because I'm sure I read somewhere, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but am I right in saying that City were a bit concerned about your weight? You said you're quite slight and you, you had a weight problem. In other words, you had weight, you had problems putting weight on. Is, is that right? You went through well, a period of that where they worked with you to try and bolt you up a bit? Is that, have I imagined that or did that actually No, happen? no, no, that's what they did. They, they wanted to get me bigger, but there are, that's why... You know, Mark Higgins, who, who played not only for Everton, he was England schoolboys captain, Mark Higgins, who played for Everton, and then he, he ended up being playing at Manchester United as a centre-back. Mark Higgins was the same size at 16 as he was at 26. So there were young players that were built like men at 16, and there was, and uh, you know, 16-year-olds look like boys, and I look like a boy. So, yeah. um, you know... When you look at a lot of footballers that's come through, uh, you know, there's a lot small in stature and probably very light. And, you know, I mean, but I'm 16, remember? If you look at people like Liam Brady and Graham Ricks at Arsenal, they were very slender and slim. Billy Bremner. Billy Bremner, Johnny Giles. You can go on Kevin Keegan. You can go on and on and on. Okay. They, they've, and as I got, I suppose I I got to my uh, ultimate weight to play football when I was about 23. So, so, it was so what did City do with you? What did City well, do with you? Then? Yeah, weight. How did they try and bolt you? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd have to do my normal training, then do weights uh, every day, and mm. I was uh, I was given um, like a, a meat steak diet to build up, and obviously training to, to go with it. So from being something like nine stone six or ten stone six to uh, oh, so nine stone six or something I think it was when I was an apprentice. I then got up to my fighting weight of about just under eleven stone, and then at West Brom was about eleven three. So and and then the, you know my uh, my playing weight was about eleven six. So um, my 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 muscle size took time to grow whereas some it took at 16 they were as big as 16 as they were at 26 other smaller plays it took time for them to get to their ultimate which was me was probably 23 when I got to my ultimate Mm -hmm. so uh, having said that but one thing that overcame me being smaller and lighter was that I had a fire in in my stomach that that, uh, certainly helped me and and probably um, and probably is a hindrance sometimes because you don't get six six times sent off. And sat here talking to you at 61 years of age, and I've still got one match left in Europe by being a, a shy retiring violet. So I had fire in my stomach, and I would I would meet fire with fire, and I'd, I would have an eye for an eye, and never never started anything. But I was always happy to uh, to compete with it or to finish it. So that's probably looking back. If I could have just curtailed that, it might have made me not not suspended at 61 years of age. There'll be one match left in Europe. Uh, but having said that, if I'd have curtailed it, it perhaps would have not given me the fire to get me to where I got to. And what was the reaction of, of your manager, who I think was probably Tony <laughs> Book, for, for most of the time you were there, and, and your fellow players? Because six times is, yeah. a, is, is a lot in a career. Yeah, and they missed a few as well, probably. 
I remember <laughs> I remember that we were playing Manchester United in a derby and I'm only now 18 and uh, and Tony had got the team at Park Lane uh, Park Road sorry then we used to train in Cheadle and uh, Dave, Dave Ewing who was the reserve team manager I'd left Steve Fleet then because he was the like, juniors and youth team and I, I was with Dave on a on the Friday uh, because we had um, uh, a game on the Saturday so I'm in, this, I'm in the Central League squad to play against United it used to be mini derbies you play them uh, first and then the main derby would be later on the Saturday you know on, on the Saturday afternoon so I'm getting ready for um, for United uh, in the reserve team derby while the first team are getting ready for the, the first team derby and debuting said oh You've been called into the first team squad, so I'm thinking, in my mind, well, I'm playing. Of course, I am. That's what was in my thought. I was playing, uh, you know, I, I was playing well, and uh, whether or not to get to the first team, I don't know. But in my mind, I probably felt I did. So I went to join the first team, and so we trained, and, uh, and we trained for that morning. And we all sat down, and, he, and Tony's naming the team, and he and he goes through the team, and I remember him naming the team, and he got through the midfield, and my name didn't come out. So, and then when I think back now, I could cringe. So I spun around on the ball to look what the what the reserves were doing. And I remember Tony Buck saying to me, "Gary, are you interested?" And I remember saying, "No." So he said, "Oh, you're not interested?" I said, "No." So he said, "How do you know you're not a sub?" I said, "Because I'm not a substitute." And obviously the player started laughing. I'm 18, remember, I'm not like 28. I said, because I'm not a substitute. He said, well, okay then. I suggest you go back with the reserves because you won't be a substitute there. I said, yeah, no. And then, so off I went. So anyway, I go over, Dave Ewing asked me why I'm back. And I said, well, uh, he told me to come and turn with you. He said, well, I thought you were the first team squad tomorrow. I said, yeah, but I might have been sub and I'm not a sub. So he started laughing. He said, well, son, I'm glad you're with me anyway. So we played United. We beat them. I think we beat United Reserves 3-1. Uh, I think I got a couple. I got one, certainly. But as normal, got booked. Uh, because it, for me, it was it was dog-eat-dog. Dog. It was a derby. It's United v. City. You know, it's, it's, I've been playing against those kids, like David McCrew, John Lowry, and all that stuff. That McCrew got into the first team under the dock. People like that, Jimmy Nickel, those was those were my enemy on a... Uh, um, on a derby day, my enemy, without doubt, there's no couldn't see anything apart from yeah, there was red, okay, but only in my only in my eyes, and I, I would win under all costs because I knew what it, it meant at the first team, I knew what it meant certainly in the reserves, I knew what it meant in the youth team, I knew what it meant playing in the in the younger league, so I knew what it meant from the first day I got to to City what a derby meant. So obviously I got booked, and on the Monday I'd gone in, and the first team had got beat, I think one nil at Old Trafford, and uh, so. I'm going to training and I'm going into the first team dressing room now because I'm now in the first team dressing room in the squad. And uh, one of the, the the guys that worked there said to me, oh, Jesus Christ, Tony Buck's looking for you. He said, he's absolutely fuming. So I thought, oh, no. Because he'd been telling me all the time about I've got to keep my, my temper under control, don't get involved because, uh, you, you know, you, you're taking away something if you don't. Uh, uh, you're losing control a bit if you don't control your temper and all the stuff. But, yeah, OK, yeah, 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 yeah. We're in one year out the other. Because my, 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 all my life, I've had to fight for everything, whether it's school or whether it is, because they're all smaller. So I've always had to fight for everything. Nobody's given me anything. So anyway, I go in the changing rooms 
they shout to me and I go into there used to be a little room just in the main road. Uh, I've no idea what the room was for actually. Uh, there's lots of violet light in there or something. So maybe it was for some injuries, but I never saw anybody go in and I, ne- I was never in it. So him and Bill Taylor took me in and said to me, what you did on Friday was unprofessional. You shouldn't have. So, but when he started, I said, look, because I thought he was, he, he was going to have a go at me about me being um, booked again. So I just said to him, well, I wouldn't let him speak really. As soon as he started, I said, look, the Derby, we beat him. Yes, I got booked. But it, you have to fight. You have to fight them. I have to fight them. It's, it's my job. And it's my job. It's our job to beat them. We beat them. I got a yellow card. Of course I did. But that's the way I have to play. I have to play with fire. I've got to play with fire in the stomach. The only way I can play. And, and he said to yeah, but so I said, so if you're going to find me, you're going to have to find me, but I can't stop. I can't stop the way I play. I'm going to play. If somebody wants to confront me, I will confront them. And I'm only small, and I don't matter, but it's not going to make no difference. He said to me, right, have you finished? And I can see Bill Taylor smirking, like almost bursting out laughing. <laughs> looking at me and I'm, I'm more mad because I think he's laughing at me but he's probably mm. laughing with me but I thought he was laughing at me so I'm fuming and Tony Buck says right stop so why do you think why do you think you should have played on Saturday I said because I'm one of your best midfield players and what made me say that again I don't know probably it was just I, it just because I, I had the confidence in my own in my own in my own ability in my own uh, I felt I could I could own my own. So eventually, he said to me, right, stop. He said, so what you do is unprofessional. You can't do that. You, you can't do that going through your career. You've got to listen. You've got to do this. And sometimes you can't always do this. You might do it. It's all part of the squad, blah, blah, blah. He said, anyway, you're playing on Saturday. So get out and get yourself prepared. Oh, Jesus Christ. I was like a, I was like a spinning top. I was like on fire for like a, until that game came up against uh, Wolves so it was that week leading up to that uh, a debut the, 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 the Friday when he actually confirmed I was in the team bloody hell I was like uh, I was like a spinning top I could not wait for that game to start and sometimes you can use up you can use up energy by being you know too excited or whatever but my energy weren't because I have plenty of energy I just could not wait for that game. It's like it's, it's like something that every boy dreams of that you're going to be making your debut at the top level for one of the big teams, and you're 17 years of age. So it was, it, it was what you could pinch yourself because that's why I always say my debut has always been and will always stay. No matter if I lose my marbles, that will I'll never ever forget that because it was it was a feeling that you could never ever replicate. Walking down that tunnel, walking out at 17, making your debut only a year earlier, using school. So, so what was Tony Book like then, Gary, as, as a manager, as a man? Again, give us a bit of insight as fans, of supporters of this great club. Uh, yeah, well, Tony Book, what? or Skip, as we all know him as, because he's yeah, a captain, yeah. so he's Skipper, so he, he stayed the Skip. And I, I, I think all the lads never called him boss, I think they always called him Skip. Mm-hmm. But, uh, because it, it must have been difficult for him to, to take over as manager and be managing players he played with. Exactly. So, you know... Uh, although there was some changes and some players came in and whatever, but there was some that a lot he played with. So it was a hard task for him. But he had Ian McFarlane to begin with. I didn't have much um, to do with Ian because I was in the reserves at that point. And then obviously when Bill Taylor came in, then uh, I was more involved with Bill and Tony. So Bill would do the 
the coaching. He was the England coach as well, as Ian would do. And, and Tony would overlook it and put his input. Um, he had the respect uh, of all the players because of his, his, his career. When you think he, his career only started as such when he was, I think, 30 or 32. I think he came to City at 32. And Malcolm had to tell the board he was 28 to, from to sign him. So, yeah, we had no. we had uh, we had Joe Corrigan on last week on yeah. the show, and he and he told us that very story. He was I remember him being thirty two, but yeah, Joe reminded us that yeah, well, it was Mr. Mr. Alexander, the chairman. They had to tell you he said, "Don't go and buy anybody over yeah. whatever it was twenty eight. They had to, they had to lie to so Mr. Alexander. He was so yeah. fit. He uh, was so fit. He kept he, you know he kept himself well. He, he, you know he he um, he kept himself how he should do. Uh, to, to prolong his career, and and what he won from when he came to Manchester City <laughs> to when he finished, it's phenomenal. That somebody wouldn't do in ten in ten careers, and he only got them at thirty two. So he had the respect of all the players for the for the um, uh, for his achievements he'd done, and because it was it was part of the furniture, part of the wallpaper, part of the DNA. Of, of Manchester City. So, but what he, about as a what about as a man manager, Gary? What was he like as a man manager for you as a young lad coming through in the team? Yeah, sure. His his legacy and and his his medal cabinet is you know second to none. We we know that. I'm really fascinated to know how he was as a man manager and, and how well, he as a man manager people. he would he would always tell you what the responsibilities were. It was never good for 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 giving praise. Certainly not. It, it was not a it. It more, it more prefer to tell you when you're not done something right than when you've done something. Uh, it preferred to, it, it was always better to tell you, or it felt better to tell you when you've done something wrong, not when you've done something right. So it was more to to tell you what you're not doing as, as opposed to how well you're doing. You knew how well you were doing because whether or not you was in the team or not. So that yeah. was his way of, of saying that, yeah, yeah, you're doing okay. Um, you know, he he had his own way. And, uh, and and that's the way he did it. But he was also a manager that was able to let Ian McFarlane do, put his influence on the team, as he did with Bill Taylor. So somebody always said to me, if you're going to employ people, employ people cleverer than yourself, which I've done in my business. But that doesn't mean that, that Skip employed Ian McFarlane and Bill Taylor because they're cleverer than himself. But Bill Taylor and Ian McFarlane probably were better at coaching <coughs> and what he needed to do day in, day out than he would have been, so he employed people that could do the job better than he felt he could do, but yeah, overall, he would manage it, and that's what he was, he was the manager. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean, and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Can we can we talk about 
76-77. Yeah. That fam- famous season losing the league to Liverpool by one point. Yeah. I think we I think we only won two of our last five games and that defeat at Derby effectively lost us the title. Just just what was the mood like around the club and and what was that like that season because that's a that's a league we should and could so easily have won. What, 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 yeah, we just could have give done, us your reflections on that. Well, it was it, it it was just it was just such a great season. We couldn't wait for the games to come. Whoever you were playing, we felt as though we could beat. We were never in we were never in uh, in awe of any team, whether it was Liverpool or whoever it was. Because Liverpool were winning all all the trophies at that point. We were not in awe of anybody at all, and we would when we were home or away. We felt we could win the game. We had no problem with that. But um, Derby County, the one where they came out the 12 yards when Joe was in gold, and that just—I mean—that pitch, I mean, hmm. a farmer's field where you plant crops was better conditioned than what that baseball ground was at that point. I mean, it was yeah. knee deep and it was playing sand everywhere. But anyway, you had to do the 12, 12 yards to be able to put a spot on for a penalty that Archie Gemmell, um, uh, uh, Archie Gemmell, was allegedly. Went over my foot, I tripped him, and he got the penalty. I think it was the fourth goal that, so he's neither near nor there. But I never, listen, I never appreciate it. I watched it the other day because somebody reminded me of it. I watched it on YouTube, and it's quite clearly I put my hands up at the edge of the box, the side of the box, as he's yeah. coming in because I knew what he was going to do. Put my hands up to let him go through. And when he falls, when it's like YouTube, he falls about seven yards after he's gone past me. So, yeah. And I've not even made any contact with him whatsoever. Trust me, if I'd have caught him, I would have caught him. And I'd, I'd be the first to say. But that was... Not, and Gary, uh, and sorry, Gary, just for yeah. people who are listening and maybe aren't as old as you and me, um, so because we are going back a bit. So Derby yeah, yeah. County were, were, were near the bottom of the league, sort of certainly bottom half, and they beat us 4-0 in this game, just, just to remind ourselves. This was a 4-0 yeah. victory. Um, so I'm just putting it in context so people listening who maybe don't know the game of talking about. Yeah, so, yeah. So carry, carry on, sorry. Yeah, so he goes down, and and I remember him saying, as he was going back to the halfway line to Brian Kidd, saying to him, "Hey, kiddo, how's it lose? How's it feel to lose a hundred grand? Not a hundred grand for his pay packet a week, but that was the bonus for the whole squad—a hundred thousand pounds to win the league." And I remember Brian Kidd, even though now he's the most meek and mild man you'll ever you'll ever meet on the pitch, he was fearsome. There's no two ways about it. You couldn't mess with him. He's a Collier's boy, you know. He knows his way around the streets, and he, he he had his own issues with Archie Gemmell when he stepped up to him. Archie Gemmell probably came up to about where his navel is when he squeaked out, how's it feel to lose under grand kiddo? And kiddo with his, he had the Bobby Charlton hair that swept across, not a lot of hair on top, just a few strands. And I remember Brian Kidd grabbing him by those strands of hair and kneeing him in his crown jewels and saying, how does that feel? Anyway, he was sent off then. <laughs> He was sent off. He said, well, how does this feel? Bang, and need him right in the crown jewels. And he went down like a bag of you-know-what. So Tony Buck in the dressing room after said to kiddo, Brian, I've told you a hundred times, you count to ten when anybody antagonised you like that. He said, I did count to ten. One, three, five, ten. <laughs> <laughs> but that season was a great season. We, um, I scored a goal at Bristol City, which, which we disallowed. Which it was said for offside, nowhere near offside. You know, you can see it over and over, nowhere near offside. But it's it's small margins that that make. Uh, you know, you can think about the Dave Watson backhead over the top of Joe Corrigan. They just bobbled in on the icy pitch when we played Liverpool. You can think, you can you can look at all all little bits and pieces. Liverpool beat us by a point, but they had some bad results. 
that season compared to compared to how they you know the games they played and, and the games they played previously and games going forward. That was that was a season where we lost games that how we lost I have no idea. And they could probably argue the same uh, um, the same thing. But when you look back and you think that that result against Liverpool was the difference between winning or losing it. It wasn't yeah. because yeah. we lost to Derby. We got to beat Bristol. So there's different places. But if you, yeah. if you look at one place, when you're going head to head with Liverpool, and uh, and if we'd have won that game and we were leading one nil, and it was late on in the game when it was a long ball just punted on ice, bounced once, Dave, nobody near. Dave just backheaded it to Joe. Joe was coming out to just to take it. And he just nodded over his head, bum 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 bum, and he went to the back of the net and won one. But it was a great you, season, you, great season, you, great season. It was, it was, and you played with some great players. You know, you talk about the side yeah. of the uh, of the seventy six, seventy seven. I mean, just the the list of names. You know, Dave Watson, Dennis Stewart, Mike Doyle, you, you, Willie you, Donnelly, best, but Willie Donnelly, Peter Barnes, Tommy yeah. Booth, Marsh and Royal. I mean, Colin, Colin Bell. I'm going to we'll come back to him if I can. Yeah. Like, there's a specific yeah, yeah. incident. I know you were playing in a particular game, and I'm I'm keen to just cover that separately. Okay, but but but. But just of of those players, leaving Colin to one side, just just pick out one or two of those for me, and just give us a flavour of of the character, the person, what what made them such great players. But you know, it it would be unfair to just pick one or two because in that team, it was a team. They're outsta- Listen, Willie Donnelly was a Scottish left back. Joe Corrigan, if it had not been for Ray Clements and Peter Shilton, would have been England's number one without a doubt. Nobody can argue that. Dave Watson was England's centre half. Mm. Mike Doyle. You know, they had Roy McFarland and probably Colin Todd and people like that at the time. Doyley, I mean, you well, you know you saw him play. He was committed, great defender. Kenny Clements, who came along as an amateur, ended up carving out a professional career as a right back. And not many people give Kenny Clements a run round, I can assure you. No winger, because he was pacey, he could get back. He was a centre-half, really. In, in later stages, he played for City and Oldham as a centre-back, but was a great right-back. Then you've got Dennis Chew. I mean, Dennis, what a great player. Well, listen, you have to be a great player when uh, New York Cosmos come and get you to play alongside the, the Beckenbars and Pele's and all that that was in that side. You know, he left, he left City to go to there because, obviously, the financial rewards were greater and he was going to be playing in a in a different type of football that knew if he, if he didn't go right, he would be able to come back. And certainly find a club here. But for City, he was exceptional. Peter Barnes, I mean, me and him grew up together. People yeah. used to say that we had a telepathy. I did. I knew exactly when I got the ball on what part of the field. I knew whether he needed to his feet or whether he needed over the top because he had blistering pace. So because, because I could pass the ball, if nothing else, I could either wrap it into his feet and he'd give it me back and then go, or if the fullback decided to, to get tight on him and he left space behind him, I was I was I was I had the quality enough to be able to knock balls either over the top, inside, or whatever, which made me and Barnsley look a great team. That's why Ron Atkinson decided when he came to get me, he wanted Barnsley as well because he saw what we did at um, a City together. Then you've got Aysen in the middle of midfield, underrated without a doubt. Underrated by by a lot of people. I mean, and very unfortunately that he didn't play more times for Scotland. Except at that time, they had people like Don Masson, who was who, who was playing unbelievable for Queens Park Rangers. Graham Soon, as Archie Gemmell, Aysen. They had a they had a I mean, unbelievable amount of midfield players 
that could have played. And, uh, and, and Asa probably didn't play as many times as he could have done and should have done for Scotland, but for, for City, what a great, great player and a great sure. teammate to have alongside you. Paul Power could play at left back, he could play at left wing, he could play at left half. He was just, yeah. he, he, he could run list, forever. And then the up list front, goes on. Exactly. Go on. And then, yeah, up front, you had Joe Royal and Brian Kidd, great foils for each other. A great, great presence. Both of them had good stature, good heart, size, height. Joe would get his goals, but Kiddo was a 20 goal season. You could guarantee to score 20 goals. So with Joe and, and Kiddo up front, and Kiddo could also drop into midfield as he did sometimes when needed. So we had an all round, all round team squad that was that was second to none, really, in in my opinion. And before we before we go to to King Colin, just another name that, that you haven't mentioned, uh, and I don't uh, you played with him, but not a lot, and, and I think he. I just want to. I'm interested to hear your view of a fellow called Rodney Marsh. And I didn't play with Rodney. I never played in the same team as. You Rodney. never, you never played in the no. same team as Rodney. I, right, I've no. got that wrong. Then that's my mistake. Then I thought. But I, I listen, thought I got Rodney... to know Rodney. I saw him. Uh, I, I saw how he used to. Uh, he had that. He had that uh, panache and he had that style of being a, a star footballer. He had, you know, he. He was the pop star footballer, as George Best was, as you know, as Frank Worthington was. He had that panache, that style. He had that swagger about them. And Rodney was that. Some some people say City made the wrong decision to bring him when they brought him because the team was settled. Yeah. Listen, nobody can argue. And listen, you can't argue that point because who knows what could have happened. But one thing yeah. about it was he was an exceptional talent. Now, with that exceptional talent, sometimes workers in a team think, well. We're chasing all around to get the ball, and you're giving it away all the time. But he, he, you know, that's the type of player that Worthington, Stambles, people like this were. But they'd also create a goal that you have to wipe your eyes to believe it, it could be possible. So Rodney was not in my time, uh, but I got to know him, and I've continued to uh, uh, to speak to him when whenever he comes over, and he's actually one of worked as I'm working at City on Match Day, he's been a, a guest in the Citizens yeah. that I invite guests into, and he's been, uh, he's been a guest the once when he's over from the States. So, you know, again, another sort of uh, hero and, and player that you was watching as a kid, when I say as a kid, 13, 14, but before you got into the first team, were stars. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you're in the same football club as them. Although, with Rodney, he'd left before I got in the team with him. So let's talk then about my hero then, please, if we can. And I want yeah. to sort of dedicate some special time to this. Uh, you don't get a name, a stand named after you if you're just an average player. No. Um, and, you know, and I say this a lot on the show, people and people who listen to the show regularly will know that whilst I love Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva and Sergio Aguero and all of the above, there's nothing quite like the great Colin Bell. And of course, yeah. go, go on, sorry, sorry. you to say something. No, I was just going to say it's, it's different times and different, you know. Colin Bell was an unbelievable player. In fact, um, until until the present crop of players, everybody would have said that Colin Bell was probably the best City player to put on a blue shirt. But when you think what Yaya Torre, Vincent Company, yeah. David Silva, Sergio Aguero breaking the record has done, you know, there will be a lot of arguments to say that that one of those could have been the best ever player to put on a on a city shirt, but to, to say one is than the other is is harsh because Colin Bell 
for me, in any era, was an unbelievable player. I trained with him. I saw how he trained. I saw how he played. Of course, he's, he, he's, one the, he's one of the best players ever to put a City shirt on. But so, in my opinion now, is David Silva. So is Yaya Torre. I mean, what Yaya did for us, not yeah. just... I mean, poignant games like Newcastle when he got two when we were going for the league. Semi-final against United. The goal he scored against Sunderland when we were a goal behind. He, rigs it, he puts it right in the top corner. He scored vital goals at vital times. Right? Yeah. Vincent Company, not just as a leader, vital goals. Leicester, United, when we're going for the league. On the, on the, in the midweek before last game of the season, it's QPR, we're in Nottingham against United. We've been 1-0. <laughs> uh, Vinny, when he... Don't shoot. I mean, I was one of them shouted. No, 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 don't yep. shoot. Don't shoot. Oh, what a great goal. <laughs> you and me both. Like a top corner. So, but Colin now is he's not below them, but I also don't think he's above them. I think he's on, he's, he's, they are players that have, um, you know, and people don't give Francis Lee the credits he deserves as well. Because Francis, the goals he scored for City, <laughs> and the spirit he showed for our football club. That's why when you always talk about, which is a bit unkind actually, when supporters say Belly Summerby, no, there was Glenn Pardo's, there was, you know, Tommy Booth's, there was Mike Doyle's, there was Tony Coleman. Alan, o- Alan Oakes. Alan Oakes. All these players that were great players, but they stand out because they stand out because they were the they were the goal scorers, the goal makers, the goal. And Neil Young sort of comes in just mm. behind them, where mm. where Neil was 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 as good a striker as you'll find anywhere. But it's all the Bell League, some of these. So uh, Colin Bell, without doubt, I've always said it until this present era, and I'm not saying I'm not saying it now because Colin is a friend of mine as well, very quiet, unassuming person, keeps mm. himself to himself, as you probably know. Doesn't yeah. do many inter- well, doesn't do any interviews. No. Doesn't do any uh, any podcasts. <laughs> doesn't do. <laughs> he just keeps himself to himself. He went in, did his football, went home, and that was it. Um, and Colin, nobody can deny what unbelievable football he was. And you know, you, you've only got to look back and see um, all the games he influenced. Can I go uh, back, Gary, to, to, to one particular game then, uh, before we move on, just yeah. with Colin? And I hadn't, until I started doing a bit of research before we, we got chatting today. I know which one you're going to say as well. I know which one <laughs> yeah, you're going to say. Uh, yeah, go on. So, which one do you reckon I'm going to ask you about? Well, uh, for me, even now when I think about it, I've got hairs going up on my arm now and the back of my neck. I've got that, that like, uh, eerie feeling. Was the Newcastle game over the Christmas period when... Colin had been out for so long, and uh, and we played Newcastle at home. Dark, dingy, misty, rainy. Half time, it's nil nil. Tony Book decides to make a substitution. I was in that team. Paul Powell goes off, and Colin comes on. And I'm going to say to you, I have never felt an atmosphere or seen an atmosphere for 45 minutes like that was, and especially when he walked down that tunnel and came out to the pitch. I've never mm. heard a noise. There was probably 52,000 in there, and there could have been 52 million in there. The noise was that loud, which not only influenced the game and us as a team, but uh, you know, it, it influenced the match because we ended up winning 4-0. And I'm sure that's what you're talking about. <laughs> It's absolutely, it's, you know, Boxing Day 1977, yeah. and, you, and you've, you've captured it beautifully. And, and I, I cried, uh, and I, I have no uh, 
I've cried a few times at City Games, you know, the Aguero moment, the Dickoff moment, yeah. the last game at Main Road against Southampton, and, and this moment. It was it was so emotional, and, and I think you've captured it beautifully. Thank you for that. Uh, you. So I said we'd come back to about t- t- today's players, and, and you started yeah. to touch on it. So, you know, just I'm just, again, fascinated to know as someone who played in the 70s, who was, a, as I say, I call you a fan's favourite, because that's how people describe you, Gary, and we'll, we'll come on to your departure in a moment to okay. Malcolm Allison and the West Brom and so on. But before we do yeah. that, I'm, I'm just interested, as, as a player who played in the 70s, who who was, was a superstar, uh, and you compare it today, and you mentioned about their diet and, and the fact you mm. hoped it wasn't going to be raining so your mini would make it to the ground. I mean, it's just a different <laughs> a different world today. So, so, so how does that make you feel? How do you reflect on that? Is, is that something that that's just life, that's how it is? What, what are your thoughts and reflections on the time you played and what it's like for the guys today? In my time, the, uh, the, the top stars where everybody couldn't get near them. You couldn't get near them. There was no chance of even meeting them because it was just untouchable. It's, it's gone full circle now. And, and footballers used to be, you, used to when you're speaking to footballers or doing any uh, interviews, they would always say who their favourite uh, artist was, uh, singer, band, or whatever it was. It's changed full circle now. Is that footballers are the, are the modern-day pop stars, and the pop stars are the footballers who who now support sides and and, and love players, as 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 players used to do for pop stars in in those times. But for me, as I said, yeah, and this starts right at the beginning. I'm a Kalslaus boy that that dreamt of becoming a professional footballer, and to actually make it. I only ever played in the top level and never played in the leagues, uh, leagues below the top level. Uh, I represent in the country at most levels. So to have that dream and to, uh, and, and when I played, I was, I was, I was paid well enough for, you know, I was up there with, with the rest of them. So money, it was what it is. And Colin Bell, Francis Lee and Mike Summerbee, when they look back to what they were being paid, to what probably I was being paid in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, to what they were being paid in the late 60s, 70s, then you look, then when players started going abroad, what they could get when they went abroad, then as it's slowly gone and money, more money's come into football, and now it's just astronomical. I mean, you can, whatever figure you put, you can put knots on the end of it because you don't make any difference because teams are prepared to pay it. I have no... I have no resentment whatsoever. I I did and got exactly what I wanted. I've got the life that I've, that, that I've wanted. It, 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 I'm blessed to have great friends. I, um, I still can enjoy the, the football because, obviously, I used to do the radio things, which I, I'd come mm. to City. Then the club asked me yeah. if I'd come and host at City. So the football has been in my life, even though, even though my business takes first priority, is that football is in my life all the time. I've got great friends. I'm watching a fantastic football team, not just because it's Manchester City, but the way they play, it's a joy. It's it's the way, it's how football should, should be played. So I'm not envious when I listen. Of course, you, you'd have to be off your off your trolley not to have said, <laughs> "Oh, I won't mind a week of their wages or a month or a year." You you wouldn't need no more than a year, but that's being greedy. But of course you would. But am I am I looking back with resentment? Not at all. I'm looking back with saying thank you, Lord, or, or whoever has given me the life that I've had and got, and, and please don't take it yet. 
I, I couldn't have wished. It, if I'd have been born and said, how do you want your life to go? I could not. Listen, a couple of hiccups, of course, along sure. the way that you wish you could have changed. But in general, uh, listen, I'm happy with my lot. And I don't think there's a lot of people in life can say that they're happy with their lot. And they're, you know, will they change it? Uh, if, if there's a way of coming back, bring me back as what I've had this time. I, I have no complaints. Listen, I don't think we've got a huge amount of time to talk about okay. West Brom, but West Brom, and, and we know you went there and, and the time that you played abroad. But I've got a couple of questions. I, I went onto social media and asked the guys out there if there was a question to ask you, what would it be? And of course, it won't surprise you that the one question that everybody wants to hear you uh, explain, Gary, is, is the summer of the clear out of summer '78, yeah. when Alison came in um, and you and, and you mentioned it. You touched on it earlier, you and you mate. Peter Barnes were shipped off to West Brom. Just, just again, give a little bit of insight into how that happened and how that made you feel. Well, shipped off is probably not the right word. We ended up going there, but when, like, I've always been um, confrontationalist, and I would have no problem in, in, in like I did with Tony Book saying I'm one of your best midfield players and should be playing. Did uh, even when I was 17. So when this was happening, all the rumours going round about if he's going to get rid of players, Malkin, the first, uh, my first. Stop was to knock on his door and just say, um, "Are you looking to sell me?" And he and I'd only just signed a six-year deal, by the way. He and he said, um, uh, "No, I'm not looking to sell you. But if anybody comes in with an offer, then then we'll consider it." So I said, "Well, in that way, you're saying you're prepared to sell me." He said, "Well, if an offer comes in, everybody's available because there's too many players here. They're setting the ways, and uh, and it'll be hard to change them the way he wants to do it. Take into account that I was 20." And Barnes was 21 or 22 at the time. So a little bit pig-headed. And when I said there's not many things I would change, that is one thing I would change. I wouldn't have let Ron Atkinson silver-tongue me into going to West Brom for no other reason than Malcolm only stayed a year and then he was sacked because my love, and my love was for that football club and my love was not to leave. But I had that fire, as I told you, in my stomach that, oh, if you don't want me, somebody else wants me. And then Ron came, silver-tongued me and said, there you go, come along, Brian Robson's there, Derek Statham, Cyril Regis, it was a team going, young team, wanted me and Barnes to go as well. It all made sense, except when I had signed and got to realise that it took Brian Robson to leave West Brom to go to Manchester to get in the England side, it took me to go from Manchester to West Brom to get out of the England side. <laughs> and I knew straight away it was a time where, where Football clubs, the more the more high-profile football club you use at, the more chance you've got of being picked for England. And, and no coincidence when you look at some of the teams that Ron Greenwood picked. When Liverpool were doing well, he had some like six or seven Liverpool players in his team. When Everton in the mid-80s were doing well, he had four or five, six players of Everton in the England side. So he just showed that maybe Graham Ricks, who was at Arsenal uh, with, with Brady, doing well with Arsenal, uh, but because Arsenal were fighting for cups and up of the league and West Brom wasn't, he went to the World Cup in 82, I didn't. This isn't being sour, it's basically, he never played in, in any England side from the youth all the way through the 21s B in front of me. In most of those, I captained them. Yet, yet he went straight to the World Cup in 82 in, instead of me. So that's when I look back at a couple of things, Listen, I still wouldn't change my life. It's unbelievable what I've had and been lucky to have. But to be able to, two things, I wouldn't have left City. Certainly not. I'd have uh, uh, thought more, well, if I'd have been older, I wouldn't have made that decision. But I was younger. So 
I would have stayed at Manchester City, one, certainly, and two, uh, the England thing is something that rankles with me a bit, but not enough to make me not not to keep me awake at night. But those are the only two things. And but lastly, I think it's it's easy. To, um, one thing I'd like to say, I'm not lastly, but obviously I know we're in short on time. But after three years at West Brom, I went to meet Tony Book. Uh, sorry, not Tony Book. I went to meet Bernard Holford and John Benson at the Stoke Post House because I was coming out of contract at West Brom. And Ron Wiley, who's, who sadly was the manager at West Brom at the time, has sadly passed away of late. So condolences to him and our sympathy. He, um, he was the manager at West Brom, Ron Wiley. Uh, not, not Ronnie Allen, but Ron Wiley. And he'd gone into a board meeting because I was coming out of contract and I was going to be leaving. And City wanted me to go back there. And nothing would have pleased me more to go back to City. I was desperate. I mean, when I wasn't playing, I'd go and watch him uh, because he was in my heart. I couldn't get out, out of me. Mm. Uh, and then, obviously, while I'm talking to them, they want me to go back. I want to go back. It's only enough sealed. I get a call from Ron Wiley on a, a mobile phone that was probably as big as my PC screen now that I'm looking at. <laughs> he, uh, yeah. he said to me, Gary, I've three hours with them now, and I've told them that if they don't give you what you want... I'm going to resign. Now, what I should have done was said, Ron, that's very, uh, that's very uh, good of you, you know, and uh, I really appreciate it. But you know, my love is from Manchester City. They've offered to, they want me to go back. I've got to take it. Now, why I didn't say that, I've no idea. When, when in any other situation, that's exactly what I would have said because it made sense. I didn't. I said, right, okay. I went back to John Benson and to Bernard Holford and said, guys, I cannot come back because uh, Ron Wiley has just said, if, if you don't give him what I want, he's going to resign. And I can't, I can't let him down, which I should have done because it's not letting down. It's business at the end of the day. He just said, I'm sorry. You've had enough time to do it. I know you've done your best, but I want to go back to City. Now, that, if you're going to have one regret above it all, I wanted to go back and I should have. Well, I should have gone back, of course, but I didn't. And that that just, that I can never lose that feeling that I could have gone back. And I chose not to go back, which is ludicrous, by being loyal to somebody that that was doing the job for me. And within within a year and a half, he'd gone anyway, been sacked, and then ended up with that. So, unfortunately, God bless him, you shouldn't speak ill of the, of the dead, but Ron Saunders has, uh, has passed away. He became manager, and he was uh, he didn't make my stay at West Brom. Uh, wanted to stay much longer, so I should have gone back to the city. So that so two times city, I shouldn't have gone, but I should have come back. Amazing, Gary. It's been absolutely phenomenal. I don't know where the time's gone. Uh, <laughs> our hour is up. But just before yes. you go, uh, we do a bit of fun at the end of these interviews. A very quick fire, quick fire round. Uh, eight or nine questions. You don't have to think yep. about it very much, but you're on either or. So I yep. want your answer as soon as it. Don't even think about it. You ready? Okay. Marmite. Yep. Marmite. Love it or hate it? Uh, hate it. Sky blue or red and black stripes? Sky blue. Bell or De Bruyne? Oh. Come on. Leave an answer. Uh, no. Listen, oh, I can go. say, oh. I don't know. I can't say. <laughs> Christmas I've got to say, Bell. I've got to be politically correct. You're, you're gone, Bell. Yeah, you're gone. I'm not going to let you do the other one. Christmas right. or your birthday? Christmas all day long. Main Road or Etihad Stadium? Etihad Stadium. Oof. Surprise that one. Ski slopes or beach? Beach. 
A pint of beer or a glass of wine? Both. Joe Corrigan said the same. <laughs> Probably. Beatles. Probably Beatles a glass or, of wine, actually. Be- Beatles or Stones? Beatles all day long. And I know the answer to this one. City or West Brom? City. Gary Owen, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been brilliant. I've loved every minute of it. You've been a star. Thank we you so much for your time. We could have done this another five hours and I didn't give we you a story. Could, mate. We, abs- but, we, we absolutely could. <laughs> That's why I can't write a book, because if I write a book, then everybody will probably kill me, so I better <laughs> It'd be true. Listen, we're, 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 maybe we'll get you back on to do the second half, but it's yeah, great maybe. That'd be good fun. That'd be good fun. Listen, uh, this is Nigel Rothband saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all very soon. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.